Hey everyone, welcome to episode 67, Stuff Stuffed and Stuffed Up. Uh, I knew that had I had to go out to the store either the day before or the day of Thanksgiving, I was probably going to end up with something, uh, whether it's just a crud, a head cold, or possibly Rona. And it wasn't Rona. I've, I've now tested two days in a row and they're negative. Uh, but I do have some crud, as you can probably tell. And uh, I was supposed to do this last night, and it just got a hold of me, and I was out cold old man time. So I thought we'd jump on here. I'm doing a little bit better. Um, you can probably hear not great. But I uh, wanted to jump on just as like a post-Thanksgiving. I wanted to do this yesterday because everyone is still kind of uh, oozing sweet potatoes and shit out of every orifice of their body. And so I wanted to talk about a couple of things that had popped up. Um, if you've ever been, if you've been on Mastodon lately, it's pretty much a cemetery. There's, there's cross posting happening by journalists to Twitter. And then it's just basically George Takai trying to get everyone to go with him. And, uh, it, it seems to me that that group or that activist part of the political left and journalists have decided to kind of recalculate a bit. And, they have not only telegraphed what they intend to do, they're pretty much putting it out in the open via column uh, by Taylor Lorenz by suggesting that Apple and Google drop Twitter from the App Store. This was, uh, of course, signaled, as I noted, by Yul Roth, who's a former head of trust and safety for Twitter. And he kind of just hinted at that uh, last week in his op-ed about what could happen with Twitter. And, of course, then Lorenz quoted a... Uh, Harvard Law degree and someone who was kind of just a digital terrorist of the political left, who thankfully lost all of their power in, at Twitter. And their idea is the same thing, to basically just go after Apple and Google and use the one playbook that they know, which is to try and shame companies out of supporting uh, states or political causes or whatever. But it certainly looks like that's what they're going to try and do. Whether they uh, succeed, I don't know. The, uh, the head of Apple product removed his Twitter account. So the idea that it couldn't happen, I think, is not out of the realm of impos uh, impossibility, but who knows? So that's just kind of the latest developments uh, in, in that whole thing over the, over the holiday. So uh, that's just kind of a topic to kick off, but uh, pretty much we'll do general topic for as many as I have back there. I have Alex, Chris, Pierce, Robert, just skip me's back there. and um, Probably just go for an hour, uh, and then I can go bury my head into a, a, a warm body of water somewhere. So, uh, same, just the same kind of ground rules. Uh, it's it's casual. It's a Saturday. We're not doing anything too important here. We're not saving civilization. Um, but just always, as always, if you're not if you're speaking and you're uh, you're up in the queue, just make sure to please mute your microphone. It just makes it easier uh, for me. It makes it easier for the listener. Uh, just be mindful there might be people behind you. And uh, that's usually it. Um, so per per his wish, I'm going to jump right to Robert. And Robert, go ahead. Hey. Culture, whatever's on your mind. How was your Thanksgiving? What was the worst side dish that you had? <laughs> well, I, uh, I've never met a dish I didn't like. Uh, uh, so I definitely got my fill. Uh, uh, the best uh, thing uh, I guess I had, though, was the, uh, 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 I guess, boar's head ham uh, that my brother 
uh, gets every year as a bonus. Uh, he works for um, Clayton Homes, which is uh, a Warren Buffett-owned company. So I believe he owns Boar's Head as well. So one of the big company perks is uh, a nice $50 ham for both uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, for those who want it. Uh, so uh, that was definitely nice. Uh, I just had a couple things on my mind. Uh, one was the idea that uh, uh, Elon Musk uh, can certainly make a smartphone as his next uh, company. Uh, and I promise you that I would be uh, very interested in making that my next phone. I uh, cannot stand the uh, duopoly of uh, Google and Apple in the uh, smartphone market. Um, although uh, me and my uh, you know current disability does rely on the the whole uh, uh, text uh, talk uh, to text features. Um, so, I mean, while I appreciate what Google and Apple has done for me in that regard, I absolutely despise them for everything else. So I would love, uh, to see, uh, a third player in the market. And I think Elon would be just perfect, uh, for that. Um, uh, and just the, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say was, uh, was just a bit of advice that I heard from uh, an Atlanta talk radio host named Clark Howard, who loves to travel a lot, and he used to catch uh, airline crud all the time. And uh, he uh, went to his doctor and said, uh, hey, you know, I catch crap every time I'm on uh, an airplane. Do you have any advice? Uh, the doctor said two things. Uh, obviously, stay as hydrated as possible going into the plane and to uh, every couple of hours to just uh, shoot up with uh, some saline nasal spray. So uh, my advice would just be to, to uh, you know, uh, go Scarface on the, uh, on the saline spray uh, next time you go out and Hope, uh, hopefully that'll uh, help you uh, out during uh, those times you got to be out and about. So, so are you telling me to put the loaded gun down then? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm 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 on the I'm uh, I'm on all the drugs. I'm I'm doing. It's not the worst cold I've had, but I just knew it. It, it hit me yesterday morning. I woke up with it. And I'm like, I knew it. I knew if I had to go to the store, and which I did. Because uh, I was just like, uh, I'm OCD when it comes to my cooking, so I'm like, I'm out of this thing. So I, I just, do I really want to do this? And yeah, and you just walk in, and it's just millions of people just <laughs> everywhere. And I'm just like, fuck, like whatever. Let's just get this over with. Um, as far as Musk and the smartphone, I, I don't know how serious he's being about that. I mean, I think it was he was responding to. Uh, a former anchor of OAN, I forget her name, because uh, my head is completely full of pus, but 
you know, they said, you know, if they ban the app, why, why don't you just go make your own smartphone? Now, he's certainly someone to me that could make a smartphone. He'd, he'd have a company that could do it. I don't know how realistic it is to make a smartphone just to carry Twitter because Twitter is an app with, you know, 25% of the country is even on it. I think it's like closer to 13%. And of that 13%, it's like 5% of the people who actually use it. That would be me. Um, so I don't know how realistic it would be, but as far as the whole, the monopoly that, you know, Google and Apple have on it. And it's weird to see the political left cheering on monopolies. This is like their whole thing. This has been their whole thing forever. And there's some great people on the left who have noticed this. People like Glenn Greenwald have pointed this out. Taibbi's pointed this out in particular uh, about the fact that to see, it really has been kind of crazy to see how the political parties ideologically and media have changed. If you turn on MSNBC, Every guest, but just about of every hour, is a former intelligence officer, whether it's FBI, CIA, whatever. Like every single episode has one of those people on, and they, they're just coming out of the woodwork. And so to watch kind of MSNBC become, you know, the, the station of, you know, the embedded deep state and the intelligence state to push back on Trump and Trumpism, and then to see this idea that because we lost control of Twitter, like, and they're sitting here saying people are going to die. They're going to let white supremacists back on. And I can tell you, I haven't noticed a single difference uh, as far as accounts or whatever. I've seen some people have come back, you know, like James Lindsay has come back and a few others, but I haven't noticed like a difference in the, the usage on the app. I haven't noticed people highlighting, you know, accounts where it's like trans people deserve to die, which was their big thing that they were talking about. And so this idea that we're going to use the powers of monopoly to, you know, crater Elon Musk and crater this app into the ground, which it really does. It really does feel like Taylor Lorenz is on like a suicide kamikaze bomb to just destroy Twitter that that because it's we can't have it, then we're not going to let you have it either. And so I don't know how realistic it is he, he's actually thinking of doing that, but to, to watch the political left embrace the, these powers of monopoly and the intelligence state, it's just been something to watch. And that's what's caused kind of this rise in a populist right, you know, powered by people like DeSantis, who pushes back on Disney and pushes back on world corporatism. And so the most interesting thing about that dynamic is how that plays out in the next three or four years and, and who gets on board with it on the political left and who gets on board with it. De definitely, um, you know, and uh, there is one feature that I did see uh, someone on Twitter mention uh, that an Elon Musk phone uh, could really, uh, uh, you know, uh, make some waves, and that's with uh, direct uh, connectivity to Starlink. Uh, you know, he gets uh, that technology down, uh, and uh, I could see a lot of people uh, really make him the number one smartphone guy. Uh, so maybe uh, all these folks uh, clamoring for uh, the end of Twitter on uh, mobile app stores, uh, man, they, <laughs> you, you know, be careful what you wish for. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you go because I know I know you're you're suffering. <laughs> uh, hope you get to feeling better soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, I mean, along these lines of, uh, what I was saying about Taibbi's comments about anti-monopolistic, it was actually replying to my tweet about, um, 
signaling what your Roth was doing. So you had Glenn Greenwald say when Parler became the single most downloaded app in the U.S. after Trump's banning, Democrats like Ocasio-Cortez demanded Google and Apple remove it from their stores. They wisely obeyed and Parler was destroyed. They're trying to repeat this abuse uh, of monopoly power uh, on Twitter. And it was Taibbi who said, you know, I could swear being anti-monopolist was a prerequisite for political liberals in the not so distant past. Now it's encouraged to facilitate deplatforming. And that's how you know their rhetoric, the rhetoric, you know, behind people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and uh, these people who are just anti-corporatism. It's all kind of a facade to try and get corporatism on their side to punish political enemies. And that's pretty much all this is about. Uh, just get me what was the worst Thanksgiving dish that you had that you just absolutely did not want to try and uh, anything else that's on your mind. Well, I was actually at a. I was invited to a coworker's uh, Thanksgiving, um, and it was pretty. It was pretty basic. There weren't any like uh, crazy dishes, you know. And then there was a minor argument about uh, what's the better cranberry, but you know they only had one cranberry anyway. And um, I uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, all the uh, meals that were there, but there really wasn't anything out of the. I mean, it was like one vegetable. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, and turkey. That's it. And cranberry. There was nothing crazy on uh, at my. Uh, um, I when my family does it, I have an uncle who makes a cream corn cheese baked chowder thing, and I'm not saying it's awful. It it doesn't taste bad, but it doesn't look good. Does, you get what I'm saying? So <laughs> the aesthetics of it are like. I don't think so, but it's um, like something Brundle Fly would put all over a donut to digest. <laughs> yeah, something like it. It's, it's it just looks like a giant cheese bake, and then when you cut into it, it's just cream corn and whatever other ingredients he has that just kind of just bubbles to the top. And to look at it, it's it's just like no, whose idea was this? But you know, the taste is like it's all right. But uh, every time he's he's made it, you know. But I I haven't had oh, I haven't had Thanksgiving with my family. I think it's been easily five years. So, um, just because I move around and now I'm in Florida, they're all back in California, you know. So, just stuff like that. Um, I noticed on the uh, Google one, the person that I guess it was uh, Taylor Renz was pushing the Alejandro Caraballo person yeah. who was that's <laughs> deleting or that's, who, that's blocking everything. yeah that's her source for the story which again lorenz does this sleight of hand where um and i mean just in the interest of time and it, not to be totally like dismissive or offensive her twitter handle is esqueer and um lorenz was pushing alejandra carballo as an as just an independent expert that she was quoting in the story and Alejandro Carvalho is like one of Lorenzo's best contacts. They tweet back and forth. They cite each other all the time. So if you're just a casual reader of the Washington Post, you're looking at all this weight behind this idea that these are legitimate online safety experts, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean, behind this idea of to get Google and Apple to get Twitter out of the App Store. And that's meant strictly for the eyes of people at Apple and Google to say, oh, well, here's some online safety experts telling us we should do this. When in fact, it's uh, someone who's on a crusade uh, on Twitter and was very, very powerful for a very long you know, amount of time 
in influencing Jack Dorsey and Twitter, probably someone right up there with the likes of Deidre McKesson and uh, Anita Sarkeesian from Gamergate. And that was pretty much, you know, when Twitter decided to just turn their business over to these people and, and start letting them make platform decisions. Well, these are people who, again, say any any opinion that is, you know, not to the uh, to the left of Vladimir Lenin is going to get people killed. That is literally their argument. And this is an argument, again, that has come out of campus culture over the last five, six, seven years. I mean, we you never used to see this, just this ad hominem. Uh, if, if you let this Twitter account back on, people are going to die. And it's like, how many people were killed when this person was on the platform previously? I don't I don't necessarily want Nick Fuentes on Twitter, but I'm pretty good at ignoring Nick Fuentes. I've done a pretty good job of it over the last two fucking days. But yeah, Lorenz is playing the sleight of hand game where you, you, you put this person in that you're friends with or whatever, and you, and you, you say that they're, they're this online safety expert, and I think she's Harvard Law, and then people go, oh, wow, this is someone who we should really listen to. And it turns this person is crazily insecure about the entire. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. The, I wanted to add on the Nick Fuentes deal because I did this on Twitter with a couple of, I like to call it Twitter luminary accounts, you know, large accounts that are just, you know, they they got their, their whatever, their pub completely off of Twitter. But everyone with the histrionics of Nick Fuentes, and I keep trying to tell them, like, I, you asked me about Thanksgiving. I spent Thanksgiving with a ton of MAGA conservatives down here and – not one of those people, I guarantee you, knows who the heck Nick Fuentes is. And I was on Twitter trying to tell everyone, is like, look, uh, I understand that the media is going to blow this up, but nobody who's not on the way to online club knows who Nick Fuentes is or cares. And so it's like you're talking about this. I understand in the cultural war they're going to make it a thing, but it's only worse if Trump talks about it. And I see you already commented on his true social, but – uh, overall, nobody knows who he is, and no one's going to give a damn. You know, with Nick. Fuentes. What was interesting about, and he's a guy I've tangled with in the past. Um, <clears throat> I, I see, I see, people forgetting the old lessons of 2016 again, which is they're going, they're gonna, they're gonna make Florida's governor answer for you know, do you do you support the stuff of Nick whatever, and they're gonna just do the same trap over and over again, and Fuentes because he's just mainly good at trolling is going to play the media like a fiddle and he's doing it already. When he was kicked out of, I think CPAC last year, CPAC didn't want anything to do with him, which is surprising because they'll take anybody. Um, but there was an interesting thing that happened. So Fuente shows up with his crew, which he calls Groypers, and they just look like a bunch of 20 year old fucking losers. They just look like the Goonies, you know? And, They get escorted out, and it's Fuentes with five guys. That's it. And you really learn, like, this presence, how how he's gotten to be big. I don't really know. He talks about how he's flown all over the country, so I'm kind of like, who the fuck is paying for this? Um, But as far as him as an influencer, you're absolutely right. This is someone who might have a lot of people on his YouTube and his cheesy fucking nightline background and stuff like that. But then we got kicked out. Like he said, we're going to storm CPAC and it was him and just like five fat fucks and they all got escorted out and they're cheering and they're chanting. And it's like, really, this is who you, this is who you want the whole of the entirety of media to be around. The problem with this is that Trump has 
now in a, in a way legitimatized him as a media figure and um how that little twerp got a meeting with Kanye is beyond me but they did and th- this is something to like absolutely really watch um i don't know how serious kanye is about any of this stuff i don't know you know 2 years whatever but it's going to be interesting to see how that presence just eats into trump's support because it might um, in some ways, but for Trump to just take a meeting and be like, oh, I had no idea who this guy is. Like, you're just taking dinners with people you don't know. <laughs> like, I think that that's, I don't even think it's the Nick Fuentes thing. I think it's the political right is tired of this guy constantly stepping on his own dick. And it's like, we're not going to go through this again for four. four. Yeah, I'd, I'd still argue, though, that the stepping on his own dick, though, is still more to the more online crowd than the not because I'm just telling you talk, talking to people who are not on social media they have a completely different idea of Trump they don't have the daily step on the dick so but I, I'm with you I mean I, I I've always argued that with Trump like every time I want to sit there and go this is good policy or this is good Trump will turn around and do something like the Nick Fuentes deal where I go Jesus Christ can we get him a better handler please somebody a better gatekeeper no I mean there's nobody him. left that's the thing so whoever's running his campaign is Jason Miller and, you know, this kind of skeleton motley crew. And that's because, one, they don't they don't want to be around him again. They don't think that, that he can win is a bigger part of it. And no consultants are going to go on to a campaign that they don't think is going to be successful, similar to Trump in 2016. I mean, when Trump started in 2016, he didn't have that many people. And then as he gained momentum, 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 and more people then glommed onto it or attempted to Steve Schmidt. And it's sort of the same thing now, except Trump has what he doesn't, what he didn't have in 2016, and that's baggage. Which, I mean, Trump always had baggage, but now he really has baggage. We have a resume we can look at. Um, we, we have more comments. We have more things that kind of show where he's going. And so, you know, he basically has a motley crew around him where, yeah, it'll, it, it will take all comers, basically, which is how, he's, how he started in 2016. So. Yeah. It, would it be successful? I don't know. But this idea where you say, like, nobody's really talking about this, you know, this kid Fuentes or whatever like that because it's all way too online. Trust me, they will be because the media is going to make this guy central focus number one and say, see, here's the guy on the political right. Uh, even though it, most Republicans or anything, either like you say, you don't know who he is or want nothing to do with him. Um, I would hope that the Florida governor's people are familiar with who he is because he's going to be getting asked about him a lot. And I mean yeah. a lot. And I noted on Twitter, the one thing this makes almost impossible, and they'll still try it, is there, there was this narrative forming that the Florida governor DeSantis is worse than Donald Trump. And he's just a more refined Donald Trump. And he actually knows what he's talking about. And that's why he's worse Hitler, whatever. Well, that dinner that Trump took with Kanye, and mind you, Trump took that dinner with Kanye after all of this shit that's been going on with Kanye over the last two weeks, three weeks, right? So the idea that Trump even took the dinner after that and he didn't have people around him going, you don't want to do this. And then Kanye like comes in and throws a fucking grenade into the room and laughs and ah, well, that dinner makes it real hard to paint DeSantis as worse than Trump. Like, I don't know what DeSantis is going to have to do to top that. Um, They will try to tie all of that nonsense to him, but I don't think people are appreciating that aspect of this enough that Trump keeps making it harder 
to say that the guy who's in the, the Florida governor DeSantis, who may or may not run, um, is worse than him, because I don't know what DeSantis would have to do to, you know, be considered worse than Trump to, you know, to sit down with a white nationalist influencer and, and Kanye West. So I don't know. But that's there's an underappreciated aspect that people haven't taken on about this that makes it hard. Our media is literally sitting there going, Jesus Christ, like this is bad. But, you know, we we had this we were sending this up to be DeSantis is worse than Trump, and which is why we're going to give Trump so much more attention. Well, it's a little hard to do that now. And I think that not enough people are. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll leave on this one. Uh, I know we got other speakers. Uh, the, the word Nazi is trending. Thanks to Alyssa Milano and her purchase. I think that's great. And Monica Lewinsky comes out against crowds. That, tr- that trends every day at this point. <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah. Alyssa Milano thing is funny to me because it's just um, all of these people and you know, while we're on the topic of Alondra Carballo is the Rex Chapmans, Ron Filipowski's, these people where we had no idea who these fucking people were three years ago, the Aaron Rupars, these people were all artificially boosted by t- Twitter's prior cur- curation team. I mean, these people are misinformation addicts, and they were boosted by Twitter's previous leadership team because of they just they wanted that political narrative boosted in your timeline every day. I noted earlier... I haven't seen a bulwark piece in my timeline in seven days. Like it hasn't come across my timeline at all, nothing. And so you, based on what I'm now seeing and what I'm not seeing anymore, I can tell you which, what was getting boosted, what wasn't getting de-boosted, what their Twitter leadership team was basically saying, we're going to put this in your timeline and we're going to put retweets of this in your timeline and whatever like that. That's all over with. And that's not coming back. And so again, the, the Alyssa Milano's and whatever like that. I mean, these are people who the reason they want Twitter shut down is because for someone like Alyssa Milano or Chapman or any or Rupar, it's their primary influence tool. And they were being propped up for a long time. And that the, the ground has just been pulled out from under them. And I said, you know, the night where they thought Twitter was going to end or accounts are being reinstated or whatever. I said that those people, the Aaron Rupars, the Alyssa Milanos, those those Twitter characters, people who were maybe a little bit famous before, but really for some reason gained an online influence, these people are feeling what people on the political right have felt for seven years. They're just getting it all at once. And I can't imagine uh, they're in a very happy place. And also, I don't care. So, like, I saw Alyssa Milano, I'm trading in my Tesla for a VW. She's like, I'm trading in my Tesla because the man plays footsie with white supremacists and it's like then you went and bought the car that was literally created by the third reich okay and it's fun to dunk on the thing that you should just be proud of is those people are powerless now they're powerless they might be listen a lot of my speak at the dnc now or whatever but as far as influencing people at twitter to like get accounts shut down or banned that's gone and that's really what's yeah well, right on. Uh, go America. Go Broncos. I look forward to my Elon Musk, SpaceX, Tesla, Twitter phones. <laughs> yeah. People said it's going to be called just Phone X. I don't think the phone is going to happen, but it'd be interesting to see designs of it or him to just troll out designs. Uh, Pierce, go ahead. What was a word you had for Thanksgiving and what else is on your mind? Meeting? Well, I, I did get a head cold for Thanksgiving, so everything tasted a little dull. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but maybe it's just my old man taste buds now. 
um, a lot of the like the desserts coming out are just like really really sweet. Maybe it's just the store bought stuff. I don't know. But I don't I don't uh, actually do I dessert on Thanksgiving. I I'm I'm a hundred percent. I mean, people bring pie and stuff like that, but I'm not really a pie guy. Yeah. Um, I just do savory. I just do really hearty and savory, and then I just pass out, which is pretty much what happens. You know, both both on Thanksgiving night and then last night, I was just out like old man. Yeah, this year I didn't have a couch to pass out on, which was rough. I was kind of bouncing around houses. But anyway, um, I wanted to bring up something that happened yesterday. I woke up in the morning, and I, full disclosure, I have an Android phone. So that's going to be tied into some Google services. So Google will tell me, hey, you have apps need updating, or hey, uh, today's weather looks like this. This is the first time I've seen this, though. I got a a news notification uh, from Google, and it it just says new info related to Elon Musk, quote, did Elon Musk lost 100 billion? Like it's some kind of Google search that I've never done. And then when I, I thought that was weird. So I tapped on it and it linked me to a Rolling Stones article uh, that was covering Elon Musk. I thought that was strange given what Elon's been talking about lately with like a new phone, uh, com, you know, uh, with the Apple store and the uh, Google store. But then also, isn't it weird that Google decided to alert on Elon Musk and 100 billion and not, I don't know, Bankman Freed and 50 billion? I was really peeved by that. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I don't know how they curate news. I, I'm on I'm on an iPhone, so I get, you know, Apple alerts and things like that. So I don't know how they curate news when you click on, you know, Apple News. I generally don't ever click on the alerts that I get from Apple. Like I'm looking now and up oh, here's let me look. Let's see. Here's. Let's see what it says. Yeah, there's there's something about billionaire getting canned by his friend. Let's see. News November 26th. Uh, I, oh, welcome to hell. Elon is the top article, which is uh, an article from The Verge, yeah. which is interesting in the sense of Elon Musk is losing advertisers and he's never had to go after advertisers. And uh, I mean, this was an interesting conversation I had uh, over Thanksgiving, which is, you know, Tesla doesn't advertise. And I didn't realize this. Like, you don't really ever see ads for Tesla. It just kind of happened, you know, <laughs> like, people, right. you know, he just kind of saturated the media environment. And so Musk is not someone who's ever really had to retain or go after advertisers. So that's they're talking about the problem with how he's going to manage the platform in that aspect. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that's interesting there. But that was the top article there from Apple News was The Verge. Uh, Welcome to hell. So I don't know how they're curating the news that way. Um, it's, it is something that you're going to see. I think they're going to make that their primary tactic is to go after Apple and Google, um, because they think that that's the way to do it. Uh, Calabaro was even bragging on their Twitter account saying, look how many responses we got from this. This is Twitter's Achilles heel. We got them. And I'm like, okay, okay. so I guess what the Washington times, New York times, CNN, they're all going to kind of get into their Slack channel you know, huddles. And I guess they're just going to start bombarding Apple and Google with statements. Like why are you, why is Elon Musk still on the store? What is the store? Elon Musk just restored Nick Fuentes. who's a white supremacist and you're allowing his app in the store, like whatever. And so the thing is, is Apple isn't what it used to be. It's, it's not kind of this brave thinking company that's at the forefront. Basically all they do now is give you iPads in different colors. And that's about it. Um, and Tim Cook is just enough of a fucking squish to where I think he would do it. Now, Google, maybe not. Um, but it also depends. I mean, the thing is, is, what's interesting to me is whatever he decides to do with Twitter, this idea that Elon Musk can't run a company like Twitter is it, just laughable to me. Like, 
why they keep saying like you know so, social media is not like rockets Eli and, and they think they're making a point or whatever and so this idea that he doesn't know what he's doing I think is so just beyond laughable like he knows what he's doing it's just a question of is he making the right creative decisions with the platform and so I really do think that that's where they're going to turn their attention and it's going to be a hardcore press as you know as some of these accounts come back on that they find distasteful or whatever like that as soon as those accounts get restored their first action is going to go right to google right to apple and you're going to see this kind of flood the zone mentality from all of these outlets and these tech reports yeah, the the push notification coming out of the blue, that's one thing. And then the topic of it, uh, they both kind of just look really suspicious. So it just did not pass my smell test. Anyway, hope you're feeling better, man. Take it easy. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Apple to me would be would cave before Google. But, I mean, just caving, what that would do, I don't know what publicly – if let's say Google and Apple just banded together and said, we, we make an announcement, we're no longer going to carry t- the, the Twitter app in our store due to rules, violation, terms of service on violence or whatever. I don't think Elon Musk looks like the bad guy in that situation to just the outside tech viewer, um, the outside tech viewer, whatever. I don't think Elon Musk is the one who looks like the bad guy in, in that case. So uh, I see Josh D in tech saying the app is freaking out again. Um, so I don't know if that's my app here or whatever, but uh, if you can just write in text how it's freaking out, let me know. Uh, Chris, NBC, my trainer in Canada sound. I'm not going to ask you about Thanksgiving because you're in fucking Canada and that's our holiday, not yours. Um, I don't even know what you got. Do you guys, you guys have the steel day up there or something? I don't even know. I, I don't know. I, I celebrate I celebrate Thanksgiving, um, but I'll be having traitorous. my dinner tomorrow. This is, you don't do that up there. <laughs> you don't just get to claim our holiday. I, like, oh, it looks like they get a lot of good foodie. Let's do that. I, 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 always, I, I always take Thanksgiving week off from work. So there you go. Is that like the thing so, up there? Like so I, you guys just somehow, and I get Vancouver's close, but it's still not the state. So is that like a thing up there? Like you guys just adopt our holidays and it's like, oh, we're going to take a week off for uh, this American holiday. No, but because I'm American, I just, I just kind of do what I want. Well, an American living is, in Canada is called treason. So just so we're there. Fair enough. I, I, I you feel forfeit shame. your right to our holidays. Oh, come on. I like turkey. Well, then you should have thought about that the before record, you went full John Walker Lind up to Canada. Fair enough. For the record, it's cranberries or cranberry sauce. That's that. That's awesome. So I did. I, I made cranberries for the first time. And I, I for my entire life, I've never really done cranberry sauce because I'm just like, eh, you know, um, but I made it for the first time, and I and for the, I, I had one of those revelations. It's the first time in my life I realized the recipe for cranberry sauce is right on the cranberry bag. And that, to me, is like some deep Illuminati shit. Like, I'm like, you're kidding me, right? It's just sugar and water. And then someone alerted me on how to make it, and I was, like, panicking because it was so simple, but I'd never done it. And so it was the first year that I actually made cranberry sauce. It came out pretty good. I threw in some bourbon in there uh, to kind of take away some of the bitterness. Yeah, good for you. So I, I was I I was kind of talking, wondering about the whole um, like the rise of Ben Collins just just shocks me. I, I well, actually, it doesn't. But it's just like 
it's like Taylor Lorenz, but let's make a male version uh, of Taylor Lorenz. And like, it's, uh, it, I, I find it creepy. Uh, I mean, I mean, anything involving uh, NBC should be taken with a grain of salt. I, I, I was wondering what you thought of the, the rise of Ben Collins. Uh, inevitable was my first, would be my first reaction. He's, he's someone who has, he's kind of trolled his way around, you know, a lot of leftist websites. And then of course he lands at NBC and he's someone who doesn't know a lot about anything, but then he, you know, he'll read two or three pieces on it. And then now suddenly he's an expert that we can listen to on television. Um, he's someone who he, you're right when you say he's kind of like the gender swap Taylor Lorenz. He's young. He, in in some ways, understands online culture. He doesn't understand what, like, troll culture is, which is what he's supposed to. Um, but a good example is how he just suddenly starts talking about Encyclopedia Dramatica. And he starts talking about it like he just learned about it yesterday. That's how you know. You can generally tell when people you know, start referencing something they just found out about it because they're really excited about it, okay? It, it's kind of like that parent or grandparent you have where they send you those chain memes that you've seen for five years already, and you're like, yeah, I've seen that. You're like, whatever. Um, and this idea that they just had to flip from making unfounded baseless accusations that this was the political right, and then it turns out that the shooter may or may not be trans, I think that that's... I think that's getting ahead of the ball, but certainly saying they go by these pronouns, you know, uh, they, they go by gender, queer, they, them pronouns or whatever like that. Um, that could also just be a ploy. I don't know. I don't think it is, but it could be. So my point is, is you have someone who's out here to paint a narrative and Jesse Singal wrote a great post on Substack about all of this, who their goal is to just simply get out and blame any bad thing that happens in society on the political enemies that they have. And make no doubt, Ben Wright is an activist for the political left. So when a shooting at a gay club happens, it's just the fact that the shooting happened is the fault of Tucker Carlson or the political right. Nothing else matters. No details matter. Not not who the shooter is, not who that what person motive might be. It's just the simple because of the place that it happened. And we made this mistake once with the Pulse nightclub shooting, which they tried to just, of course, pin on Florida and, and everything like that. And you're talking about an industry that doesn't think that they can wait 72 hours for facts to come out because they're in competition with social media. So someone like Ben Collins is primed for that kind of environment where he can just go on morning Joe and look at the camera with his, with his weepy eyes and say, have we not had enough of this? And that's what gets him kudos in that kind of former cool kids table circle. So I will say that he, he has been on a meteoric rise and what explains that is simply, I don't know. Uh, um, I think you have a just a, a political hack meeting their moment, and it happens. Um, but as I said, he's someone who be, over the over what he went on NBC last week and talked about. He should be fired. He should be nowhere near. He's not, of course, not going to be. But this is someone who, when you go on TV as a disinformation reporter and act like you have a set of facts that you're presenting to an audience by saying, you know, this was a this was an avid Tucker Carlson watcher and he 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 circled lives a TikTok account and we and, and whatever, and you, he says that as fact to an audience. And like I said, I think on the podcast, the host just kind of nod along because he is saying all of the right things to them, 
And instead of saying, "Hold on, Ben, how do how do we know that how do we know that he was a Fox News watcher that he was on Twitter? Do you do you have that account or stuff?" And that one question, no, well, we don't have it, but we've seen this pattern before. He says, "Oh, but so you don't know it with this shooter in particular?" And of course, that's what Morning Joe and Cable News has become. So. It doesn't shock me. He's probably going to have, you know, he's probably going to end up replacing Joy Reid here in a few months or whatever like that. So um, NBC, they see clicks, they see eyeballs, they see traffic, and they see someone who is getting a lot of attention from all of the right people as far as they're concerned. Um, And I do also believe that he's filling a vacuum that, at least for people who are online and on social media, he's filling a vacuum that Brian Stelter created. Um, which is, you know, someone who is acting like a righteous character uh, in the bowels of right wing lunacy and whatever like that. And he and his view set is the proper one. And someone who says when you confront them with their hackery and their hypocrisies, they just basically say, well, no, I'm the honest one here. You you're the dishonest. one. I'm the honest one. And so as far as the reaction to Ben Collins and some of the things that he has put out, I do think that that's partly because the political right's been kind of wandering the countryside looking for the next Brian Stelter. Okay, I, and I agree with that. Um, so music question-wise, would you rather have Seattle or metal? Like, what do you, like, what do you mean Seattle or metal? Like, would you rather, uh, like, like the two bands that I'm going to give you, would you rather them be Seattle bands or metal bands? Uh, so you're talking like '90s grunge, yeah. Um, or I'm going so, easy today. So, what era of metal are we talking about? Uh, '80s, '80s speed. So, if I so you're asking me if I could keep one of those genres, Seattle grunge. No, what or I was going to ask you is, would you do you prefer Metallica or Megadeth, or would you prefer uh, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Um, so I have to keep. Those I have to keep Pearl Jam and Nirvana, or I have to keep Megadeth and Metallica. Yeah. Well, I'm not a big fan of Metallica or Nirvana, so I would rather keep Megadeth and Pearl Jam. But if I had, if I mean, I don't know, man. If I had to get rid of two, I'd probably get rid of Megadeth and Metallica. Okay. And uh, I've got I've yeah. gotten into a lot of Pearl Jam's late career stuff. Um, I mean, I was into their, obviously really as a teenager, good. I was like, into, I was into Pearl Jam and stuff like that, but I, I got way away from them. I just didn't like a lot of the stuff they were doing. And then I really think, and, and then Eddie Vedder is trying to become his own Neil Young and he's doing ukulele songs. But I really think like with the Into the Wild soundtrack, I think Eddie Vedder kind of found his niche a bit and he's kind of continued a lot of that kind of sound. Um, and so I like a lot of. I do like a lot of Pearl Jam's late stage stuff. The other thing I like that they're doing, they're not trying to act, you know, grungy and young. Like when you see their live performance, this is, these are grown up 50 year old dudes. You know, they know who they are now. They're not like trying to, you know, they're not trying to still act that way. And I kind of feel like when I watch the Foo Fighters that, and I'm, this isn't a slag on the Foo Fighters. I think the Foo Fighters are are like a fine band, whatever. But it feels to me like the Foo Fighters are still trying to act like that 90s style grunge rock band. Um, even though like Dave Grohl himself is also like 55 years old. And so I do like I do like where Pearl Jam is and how they're comfortable in their own skin with what they are right now. 
And there's a lot of bands out there who aren't as they get older, especially when you grow up with them, that they aren't. Like U2 is a perfect example of a band that's just not comfortable in their skin right now. They just, they're fucking fossils now. Um, but I mean, if I, I don't know, I've never really cared that much about Metallica beyond listening to them for hockey warm up. Um, their early 80s stuff, obviously, the the White Album one is is great. But beyond that, I just don't know. The Black Album, I listen to to death. But beyond that, I don't know. Um, I, I was an earlier fan of Megadeth stuff, just mainly because my friends were always playing with it. When my goth friends that I had were always <laughs> playing it and stuff like that. So, But I guess if I, if I had to keep to, it'd probably be Nirvana Pearl Jam. Although, I mean, there's several other grunge bands in there in that era like i mean you could throw the pixies in there you could throw sonic youth in there um you could throw the posies in there you could throw in meat puppets i mean so there's a ton of other bands i just wouldn't suggest dinosaur jr you know that i just wouldn't say would be nirvana but if i'm half dumped to i'm dumping metallica and megadeth strictly because of the weakness of metallica and uh my favoritism of pearl jam no that's a that's a that's a good call well uh on that note uh um go canada go hawks okay i'm sitting there celebrating our holiday in canada jesus christ alex you're up hey steven uh, and i don't know alex and i don't think alex had a thanksgiving either did you <laughs> i sadly i don't but for See? some reason we celebrate we have our black friday sales Oh, there you go. So, so I think your culture affects ours, and we got to do something about it. And it's, there's a there's a theory that you know somehow Australia is really an American country, uh, just because you know something to do with the CIA. I haven't looked into it, but it's it's hilarious. Anyway, so um, just this talk about the um, what's been going on with. Twitter and Elon Musk. I mean, apparently when Elon Musk was going to push this amnesty to um, bring back all the, or not most of the suspended accounts, I see that he would draw a line somewhere when it comes to people like Alex Jones. Yeah, he said he, said he was not going to reinstate Alex Jones. Yeah. And then, you know, his ex-wife basically said, Oh, you didn't cat you know what? You didn't really carry the our dying baby into our hands. And someone and you know, all the media outlets, most of the media outlets have decided to fact check him on that, which was so bizarre that, you know, Ben Dreyfus will just will tell, you know, someone like Elizabeth Spears, who was a Democratic Party operative, that you know, it's a, something that should be shouldn't be fact checked, and when you do, it kind of like lit, lessens the trust between your readers and the journalists, depending on why this is the kind of priority that you want to choose. Yeah, but you're also looking at an industry that's fact checking memes and jokes as as real things. Yeah. It's not it's not a real you know. Nate Silver, as we were just talking about, Ben Collins had a you know a good quote. As much as I'm not a Nate Silver fan, said the whole fact checking slash disinformation reporter be you should be automatically suspicious of it, like right off the bat, to the point of where 
news companies are going to need to start getting away from it because yeah um, i mean a good instance a good instance of this happened to me on uh i was just kind of browsing instagram uh a few nights ago and i came across a post from a uh, an account i follow called old school airway and old school airway just posts lots of just kind of retro fun cultural 80 slash early 90s stuff that is just kind of like oh okay those are fun clips and it said uh annual reminder to stay safe this year and as i came across the post it says false information the same information was reviewed by independent fact checkers in another post and so it's this blurred out image i'm like okay so I click on it and it's this joke ad uh it's this joke meme that's been around for a while from where someone took two photos and then they put the ad council and says this this thanksgiving Remember the cranberry sauce, but forget the marijuana. It says Terry was convict convinced to take a toke of a joint with his friend just to relax. Immediately after, Terry killed his friend who had given him the marijuana in a murderous craze. Not so safe, is it? And this thing's been around for a while. And Instagram blocks it. And it's based because of a USA Today fact check from 2019 saying fact check viral warning on marijuana's murderous side effects at Thanksgiving is fake. And basically what this comes down to is there are not enough reporters steeped in what, again, internet culture is and meme culture is to understand what a fucking joke is. And so that's, you know, what you get. And so this idea that we're just we're going to start fact checking everything Elon Musk says. Well, part of that reason is Elon Musk is the new main character of Twitter. Ever since Trump has gone, you know, from basically from its creation 2008 to 2015, Twitter didn't really have a main character. It was one of the best things about it. And then, of course, Trump uses Twitter to, you know, run a presidential campaign. He becomes president. And for basically six years, Donald Trump is the main character of Twitter. It's the one where you wake up and you open your phone and everyone you know is talking about it. And it's just okay. Twitter bans him on what? I think January 6th or January 7th. And since then, there really hasn't been another main character. Well, now Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Elon Musk is Twitter's main character. He's the one everyone's talking about. Everyone's replying to now because they're hoping to get a response and all of this stuff. And so now the fact checkers and the media are going to turn their attention for as long as Donald Trump is not tweeting and make Elon Musk Twitter's main character. Yeah. And I feel, and how do you feel about, you know, the upcoming amnesty like what do you think is going to what do you think it's going to be because i suspect that with most of the amnesties like 95 percent of the suspended accounts that i feel is going to be returned back there wasn't any any good reason why they you would suspend them even if it's someone who happens to be very annoying my my you know plus and I wonder when it comes to like these suspended accounts being lifted, uh, finally doing whatever they want, like what is going to change? What's going to change? Like very little unless, you know, the left decides to move to math, um, to Mastodon or whatever social media there is that could emulate what could what was good about Twitter or them? I think I think that there's two different expectations, and one is, um, I think that the political left sees accounts coming back like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Fuentes or Laura Loomer or or Milo Yiannopoulos, and they see that as 
I want to say that they see that as a lost victory. They see, you know, that these accounts got banned and, and we've been now in our little safe haven here. And now that they're coming back, um, it's going to just it's going to make us less safe and less able to. And that's their attitude. Um, I don't really have an opinion on it because I didn't really follow many of those accounts anyway. So if they're on here, great. I, I don't follow them. Um, I suspect he'll still enforce the rules. Something that was interesting is that uh, Musk and Twitter started booting a bunch of Antifa accounts. And uh, kind of to the suggestion of, you know, Andy No, who said, here's some of these worst accounts on whatever. And so Antifa sort of lost their shit. And now I guess there were threats against Tesla factories around the country because he's, he's kicking them off Twitter. Um, but... It, I think what the political right wants and what we've always wanted is just to have the rules enforced equally or as close to equally as possible. And we never saw that. We just simply saw Twitter just, you know, banning account on either the political right or just a random nobodies or people that were just popular on the political right that were just simply making jokes of the political left. Metric Buttload is an account that I love. I've, I've followed him for years. I've talked to him. He got banned for some joke. Uh, John Ekdahl, who's a friend and somebody who I've known for years, got banned because he insulted Chris Saliza. And so all of those kind of accounts, we never saw equal enforcement. Um, so when they talk about like the rampant spread of anti-Semitism, we never really saw accounts that spread anti-Semitism anti from the political left kicked off Twitter. And, you know, David Sachs, who is the guy who founded this app, he's the guy who basically created Call-In and he's working with Musk on Twitter is saying uh, Twitter is going to be a much cleaner site when one side of the debate no longer has diplomatic immunity. And I, I think that that's pretty much correct. Um, so as long as the rules are applied, at least consistently, which is what Yoel Roth said in his, in his New York Times op-ed that they tried to do. But of course they didn't do that. Of course we know that they were they were nuking accounts on the right that they didn't like or they found distasteful at the recommendation of people like Lorenzo Carballo or, you know, whomever. And so to me, I don't really care what accounts are, are on Twitter or not. Um, there's if, if you if you type in the wrong hashtag or if you type in a wrong search term or something, you're going to get porn accounts all down your search. So it's kind of like there's seedy corners of this website that, you know, you just don't dare go to. And it's pretty easy to stay away from them. Um, and so I don't really care about the mass amnesty thing. Um, as long as the rules are enforced equally, as far as I'm concerned, going forward, I, I, that does, that means I don't really care if Miley Yiannopoulos reloses his account because he's a, you know, a swampy douchebag or again, someone on the political left. But if you enforce, if you enforce the rules equally, I think that that's all we want going forward. The people like the Lorenzos and the Carballos, they want Twitter enforcing people on the right and that's it. And I think people on the right, and this is this is sort of like politics as well, where the political left is always trying to get us to shut up and we're always just trying to get them to keep talking. And so uh, as my personal view is, as long as you enforce the rules equally, I don't really care. Yeah, and I see, I noticed that amnesty is a word that has been pretty big. I mean, you got Twitter amnesty, COVID amnesties, I don't know what is the definition of amnesty nowadays, but I feel like it's kind of wilds a lot of people up. Um, I'll leave you with um, I'll leave you with something a bit lighter. So, I'm just wondering, what's your favorite uh, music uh, for twenty twenty two? I myself don't listen to a lot of music, but 
recently do, and I have listened to a few hip hop artists like um, Earl Sweatshirt and uh, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, those those people put out really really great out al- really good albums. But I'm just wondering, like, by the time the year ends, what should I be listening to? Uh, you're probably going to, because we're so close to the end of the year, I'm narrowing down my list. And so you're probably going to have to wait until I do either a best of on either my podcast, or I'm going to maybe try to do a, uh, a best of here, uh, with input from people. Um, so I basically, I'm, I, I have like a jumble of about 18 to 20 albums that I'm at. And this was one of these things that just snuck up on, on me where I'm like, oh, shit, it's December. I guess I have to start getting serious about this. Um, so I, I, not to leave you too disappointed, but I was going to say you're, you're probably going to have to wait here a couple of weeks and I will do my best of 2022. All right. No problem. Also, you're going to um, have to come back. See, that, that's how I do things. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Stephen. And also, just uh, for what it's worth, it's called football. I mean, I know you guys are true, true. But no, it's not. You're never gonna. Uh, yeah, but it's pretty. It's for some reason. I live in a Western city suburb, and it and football is really, really popular here. Um, and we name anything football. Uh, okay. Well, when you beat us in a war, then we'll let you. We'll let you make us call it whatever it is. I mean, we still have uh, you. You have your your artillery in the northern territory, just so China could not invade us. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's just the breaks, man. I don't have to tell you we're we're a, we're a much bigger island than you are. So, oh, I started off. Take time. care. Take care, Alex. I'm going to run through uh, Matt and Losper here. Uh, so no, see, I mean no. We have football tomorrow. Right now, there's soccer on that I'm looking at. I guess Argentina and Mexico are playing, although I'm not really paying attention. And then tomorrow we have football. And there's also some great college football, supposedly that happened today as well. I'm just rubbing it in Alex's face. Uh, Matt, go ahead. <clears throat> I'm just gonna. We're gonna end with Matt and Losper, and then we can get out of here, and I can go uh, bury my head in a washing machine. <laughs> Stephen, you got me. Yeah, you're good. Go. So uh, aside from the Metallica blast to me, um, I wanted to cover. See, that's, uh, this is going to be a thing now. Like this is going to be another <laughs> thing that I have to answer because uh, Chris had Chris had to get his like kooky question out, and this, I think he's he's also <laughs> one that led to the fucking mashed potato controversy or whatever. So this is, I guess another thing I have to live down where it's like, no, I'm fine with Metallica. I was just given a choice. <laughs> um, so I called in because. Thanksgiving. Well, let's get the side dish controversy out of the way. Um, everything's great. I'm a food bag. I'll eat everything. There was one dish that was a, um, instead of a potato au gratin, it was like, a, I think it was a cucumber au gratin, which again, I enjoyed, but um, there were some words in private that uh, weren't so charitable. See, but, see uh, I made it, I made a butternut squash gratin and I'm, it's one of my best things that I do. Cause I use like the, the, the Greer cheese and I use a cheese mixture with it. So the squash gratin is even, I mean, it's good because it's kind of still mushy, but it's still kind of stiff and it just comes out completely fucking nuclear. <laughs> yeah. So aside from that, everything was great. One thing that was pleasantly surprising, um, 
and I, I'd be curious about like your audience and their experiences, but, um, um, the past two years, 2020, 2021, um, because of COVID Thanksgiving was a strictly nuclear family event. You know, we didn't all get together and it was, it was like a Sunday night dinner, you know, just modest meal, chit chat, and then call it a night. And, uh, that's what I was expecting this year. And as I got back to my folks house, um, you know, it was us, it was a nuclear family. And then a couple uncles and aunts roll in and then a couple more and some cousins before you know it, there's 25 people in the house. And I was just, I was so thrilled because it was pre COVID Thanksgiving, you know? And, um, you know, I'd be curious, like, is that kind of how the rest of the country has kind of moved on from COVID or, um, are there a lot of people still sort of branch Covidians and, and, you know, living in this sort of, you know, freaked out, you know, lifestyle. So, um, I mean, me personally, I mean, all of my Thanksgivings in COVID, at least to me, always seemed normal for the most part. There's four, you know, three, four or five people over and, uh, I never really had like an unnormal Thanksgiving that I've noticed. Um, so, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe this is the first year I would say maybe last year was maybe the actual first year where it felt mostly normal, but yeah, as, as far as like some of these progressive enclaves like DC or, you know, Park Slope, Brooklyn or whatever, I'd be curious to see what it's actually still like there. I don't, I don't live in downtown Brooklyn anymore. I don't live in Williamsburg anymore. Um, but I mean, for me, my Thanksgiving has been pretty normal, even through COVID. And I think part of that was just like, eh, you know, like <laughs> we, we're either going to get it or, you know, like, so I caught COVID the first time, like a month before or about two, two, two and a half weeks before Thanksgiving. I caught it like right at the beginning of November. And I was like out of it for a day, day and a half. And then I came back and I felt fine. And then about a day later, I lost my taste and smell. And I was like, when the fuck is this going to come back? Because I have Thanksgiving here in like two weeks. And it really pretty much all returned like the day before Thanksgiving is when it all came back. And so, and that didn't even still really affect the holiday. I still just cooked everything the same. And then last year was kind of the same thing. So yeah, I mean, I'd be curious. I, I bet there's parts of the country where it didn't interrupt anything. And then I'm sure that there's parts where they're still eating in giant body condoms. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, for me, it never really felt like an yeah. And so this kind of dovetails into what I wanted to bounce. Another thing I wanted to bounce off you, which is, um, you know, I've seen some things online about what the Republicans are gearing up to uh, investigate. And I, I called in a couple of weeks ago about SBF and how I might have lost some money. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it seems like they really just want to go after Hunter Biden. It just drives me crazy because it's like this guy is a He's a corrupt degenerate. Big deal. Nobody who cares. I mean, and that's what they seem to be focused on. It's like, you know, there's this guy named Fauci out there who just looks like he's going to quietly just kind of disappear from everybody's radar, even though all the bad things he did in terms of his policy prescriptions. And then, yeah, this SBF guy who's going to go on a New York Times panel in a couple days. <laughs> and I can't wait for that. But um you know, I just, I just feel like the priorities are just way out of sync in terms of like 
people we should actually be looking at instead of Hunter freaking Biden and his prostitutes and his China bags of money. Well, I think I think you'll get a couple of big tells. One is if they actually do uh, look into Hunter Biden, that to me is a is a uh, is a prelude to impeachment. That's they're going to investigate Hunter Biden in, in a way to, that links Joe Biden to him and impeaches Joe Biden over that. That's what I believe. And I think part of that is just kind of the Kevin McCarthy slash Donald Trump revenge tour, which is, hey, you, you impeach Trump over a phone call. You're the guy here with a son, you know, cutting you to the big guy, $10,000 off of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of money taken in Ukraine and China and Russia. And I think that's part of it. I think it's simply a ploy to impeach Joe Biden. Not obviously you're not impeaching him to kick him out of office because of the Senate. They're not going to kick him out. Um, So it's a symbolic impeachment, but it is there. It's, Hey, Joe Biden was an impeached president. And how long do you guys want to keep doing this? Um, I'm kind of with you. I think the two things that I would rather see priority are COVID origins and, because it really is striking that the Democratic Party has no interest in looking into the origins of COVID. Zero. None. We're, we're two years out of this, and now would be the time to kind of start holding those hearings, and they didn't uh, for an entire year. So COVID origins, again, what Fauci knew through emails, he supposedly testified, he gave a deposition in Louisiana, and uh, he basically just pled, I don't know, to everything he was asked. And around this email chains of him talking about zoonotic origins versus uh, possibly manipulated gain-of-function origins and stuff like that. So he just went and played dumb, which is what he's going to do. But I'm fine with watching him play dumb. I just want, I want it on the record. Um, the second thing, and I do think they're going to probably look into this as well, is DHS's coordination uh, with Twitter and social media platforms to get users kicked off and banned. And that also plays into COVID, you know, over COVID, dis- what they claim is COVID disinformation, but uh, c- just basically banning uh, unfavorable accounts per Lee Fong's reporting at The Intercept. Um, those are the two things I'd like to see the most paneled. And I'd, I'd like to see Twitter executives uh, sworn in or former Twitter executives, people like Yoel Roth, people like Vijay Gad, people like Jack Dorsey and, uh, I want people like Nina Jankowicz to testify over what their role was exactly a- in trying to censor and ban accounts off social media uh, via the arm of the Department of Homeland Security. So me right, personally, me personally, those would be the two things I'd like to see them start. But I think, again, when you when you when you're talking about Hunter Biden, it's it's sort of about Hunter Biden, but it's in a way to link Joe Biden to it. So the GOP House caucus can then justify impeachment, which I, I don't understand why you think you're going to do that with three votes. You don't have a mandate. You have a three to four seat majority and you don't have a Senate majority. So that should be a message that, hey, maybe we don't want to do all of this. But I, I still think McCarthy is beholden to Trump a little bit. And I think Trump is probably back there telling him to impeach Biden. That's what's. Yeah. But I mean, if, you know, looking forward to like, say 2024, you're not, nobody's going to be like, wow, you know, that really, that Hunter Biden guy, he really pissed me off. And now I'm going to, but meanwhile, you have this SBF guy who's literally stealing your money, like stealing your money and then giving it to Democrats who, didn't even like ask like, hey, where'd that money go? No, they just took it. Yeah. And then you have 
the cherry on top of all this is the New York Times and I think it was WAPO. They wrote they're writing reports like lamenting like, gee, it's just a shame you didn't get away with it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is I, I think they should be running on that. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that I mean, that all depends on what's going to happen with the Justice Department and him. That's that to me is dependent on that. If if he's not charged, then, yeah, I think you need to hold congressional hearings on him and then recommend charges. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm even taken back a little bit about how the media is just kind of still venerating this guy over, you know, he, he's one of two things. He's either a slick con man who knew what he was doing or, gosh, his heart was in the right place and he just got in over his head. <laughs> and that seems to be where they're going because he's still going to appear on stage next week. And I think that this is the new story to watch uh, is, you know, as I as I throw out topics or I think about future topics for Colin and podcasts that uh, the SBF interview with, uh, with uh, Andrew Sorkin is going to be one to watch. The fact the New York Times is still going through with it. And I think Joe Simonson from the Free Beacon uh, even wrote to the New York Times asking for comment on how much are they paying him for this appearance, which I think is a big one. And, you know, you you saw this argument between Elon Musk and Ben Smith that you also saw me jump in the middle of, too, because all of all of SBS, all the money that they got from FTX, 74 Media, they said is secured and we're already distributing it. Well, it's not your fucking money, guys. That's the whole point. And so I'm sitting there telling Ben Smith, you need to give this back. You need to figure out a way to work with a regulator or to work with FTX or their attorney to figure out how the money you took gets returned to FTX and how that money then gets returned to investors who lost it. And that's what really angered me about what Ben Smith is doing. They're sitting here like going after Elon Musk for, you know, a text message with SBF. And I'm sitting here like, you guys took an undisclosed amount of money. You won't even tell people how much money you took. All you're disclosing is that he was an investor. So one, you need to disclose how much money you took Two, where, what was the conditions for that? Cause he's not giving it to you cause he likes you. He's giving it to you on the conditions of the kind of th- stories you're going to write and the coverage you're going to write. And then three, uh, you need to figure out how to give every dime of that back to FTX and you can have a federal regulator monitor this and make sure that the money goes there and then it finds its way right back to all of uh, these investors somehow. A lot of these people are never going to see their, their cash back, but somehow they better figure out a way to do that. And the idea that the you know media is just like, no, we're going to keep all of this money. Hey, it's ours now. <laughs> it, it was never yours. That's the whole point. And so people said they're ignoring it. And I wouldn't say that media is ignoring the story, but they certainly are downplaying their role in it because again, of how they. Yeah, totally agree. And, um, thanks for the call. Enjoy the rest of the long weekend, Steven. And, um, yeah, talk to you. Cheers, Matt. I'm going to (laughs) try. Uh, we'll wrap up with Losper here. Losper, bring us home. Dish you had for Thanksgiving. Got it. And, uh, any comment here on media this week or anything? That's- hey, Stephen. Uh, thanks for bringing me up. Uh, it's my first time here. I'm proud to be a longtime supporter. Uh, you're by far my favorite podcaster. And a quick compliment. I think you've done a great job transitioning into this role. Uh, you do this with a great deal of humor, uh, skill, and um, and and uh, I think also you do it really politely, which is uh, which is really great. So uh, thanks on all for all those things. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you guys are you guys keep me wanting to do this. All so right. If, 
So a couple, a couple thoughts. First, um, uh, I agree that the first priority of the House should not be to try to find something uh, in Biden uh, to potentially impeach him on. I think that there are a number of topics that could be a lot more valuable. One, obviously, I think COVID uh, and getting Fauci up there would be great. Um, I think uh, having anything having to do with big tech and media and bias against uh, the right would be good. Uh, but I think that there's also other things that they could investigate that would be great, such as um, uh, the whole uh, suppression of the parents who were fighting against the uh, the schools yep. with regards to uh, COVID yep. closures. I think that I would agree be that should be up really there. good. Or at least Mer- yeah. Merrick Garland's explaining why he allowed NEA language to make it into a Department of Justice release. So, yeah, I'm fine hauling Randy Weingarten up there. I'm fine hauling Merrick Garden up there to answer. So, yeah, so I think that there are a lot more, you know, profitable things and anything having to do uh, with energy. I mean, the, the the idea that we're we're now paying, you know, Venezuela to pump oil for us when we could be doing that ourselves. I think exposing that, exposing the role um, that the Biden administration's energy policy has had directly on inflation uh, would be better, a better places to go as well. It would also set us up for the next administration to reverse all of that stuff. So. Um, as far as investigations, that's where I would go. Uh, another thing is I got under the wire uh, and got a blue check uh, during the, uh, uh, the, the the fire sale that they had for several days until they turned it off. And I can tell you that it was the one thing that I've done on my experience on Twitter that has changed my experience there um, dramatically. I don't have a lot of followers um, and I've never I've only been in this account for a year. And in the short time that I've had a blue check, I have engaged with so many people. I've had people literally uh, spread my stuff all around Twitter. Um, and uh, I've engaged with David Sachs. I've engaged with, with a lot of blue checks who are finally seeing my comments. And it's dramatically changed my experience. And I'm enjoying it a lot, lot more. Uh, but one interaction I had with David Sachs was particularly interesting. Um, there was a question about what, you know, what Elon is going to be able to do. Uh, given all the, the, the stuff that he's, he's running into. And um, my response was, if Elon fixes Twitter and becomes it becomes a healthier, freer, less woke platform, I view that as a benefit for society, and that's what I would like to have happen. If Elon fails and Twitter dies and the woke lose their favorite influential toy for suppressing speech uh, they dislike while propagating their own bullshit, I believe that would be a benefit for society as well. Either way, in my view, it's winning. And uh, David Sachs liked that reply. And it's only relevant to me because I think that David is being very influential with regards to what uh, what Elon is doing. Uh, I would agree with that in the sense of he is, he is working with Sachs and he's also working with Jason Kalkanis. And if, like I said, there were subtle changes made where they changed super follower to subscriber. And that was one mm. that I noticed. And I said, oh, okay, huh, all right. So you're going to go to a subscription model then. And uh, based on like this app, you know, they're trying to work with WhatsApp to encrypt DMs and, and create person to person calling within the DM system. Mm. And so you, you could see a world where I don't know, maybe Saks merges call in with Twitter and this interface becomes sort of where it's tweets. But, um, if you have subscriber content, to me, this is the only way he's going to kind of save 
that distinction between who was verified as like a, as a content creator or a journalist or someone who puts stuff out and then Twitter had an audience of kind of unverified. And it's not like, it, to me, it's not about really status. Um, and I've heard similar to you, like just people who are normal users now enjoy it a lot more. And as I've said, it's made what I do infinitely harder. I don't even mm-hmm. really read my replies anymore. Um, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get better at that. Um, but someone like me could go to a subscriber model where what happens if uh, I can just record a podcast live onto Twitter, not Twitter spaces, something like this, where then you save it and it's saved there or Patreon, where I can just record an MP3 podcast and upload it to my subscribers on Twitter mm-hmm. instead of Patreon or Substack. And so that's what I think that they're going to do. Um, and again, like you said, him working with Sachs and you see who he's working with and around and you see the projects that they have done in the past. Um, again, that to me has much more interesting repercussions than which accounts he lets back on Twitter. I'm really not that interested in that. Yeah, I, um, I think they're going to let, on, let on whoever you want and we'll deal with it. And I mean, we're already seeing the fallout of having Kanye back on there. Um, but it's kind of like you don't you don't have to make these people the center of your online or political universe. And that's coming from someone who's generally a political funded. Um, and so where what it's becoming or what it's going to gestate into to me is far more interesting than um, him giving amnesty to banned accounts. I agree. I think he's going to fix your problem, though. I think he's going to create a, a special notification for verified media accounts and like uh, academics and entertainers. And they're going to get their own category and you're going to be able to track your replies to those accounts as a, you know, as a, a bigger time influencer than people who are just subscribers. But I, I, I believe the reason I'm getting a boost is because people are seeing me more. I'm at the top of, of, of the, you know, of the pile when, when the blue checks look at their, at the way they usually do, I'm ending up in their mentions and they're replying to me more. So uh, whatever it is, it's good. But I think he's going to fix your problem. I, I do. Yeah, we'll see. I know they're doing like a multi-tiered check now. So they're doing gold, gray, and blue. So gray is for government accounts. I wouldn't use that color, but okay. Yeah. Uh, gray is verif- it's government accounts. And then I think government officials. And then gold is like media organizations um, and or something. It's celebrities, media organizations. Um, but then those media organizations are going to then tell somebody like Twitter, okay, this person works for us. So here's a different account. And I'm, I'm kind of just sitting here scratching my head going, you know, you could have given, you could have given all the benefits of Twitter blue. So the 899 and not done the verification. Um, he could have done that and he should have, in my opinion, done that, which is, I don't care really who's verified. The problem is, is that the people getting verified aren't verifiable. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah completely. Yeah, completely. If, so I, like, I, if, I, if, if, I don't if think anyone you should wants be spending to get verified, your... then you send it. You do what it takes to get verified. You send yeah. your driver's license. Yeah. You, send, you, you know, not a credit card, but that's. I think that I do think that the Twitter blue is going to cut down on so much like harassment slash dogpiling, whatever, uh, because again, it's people like basic trolls and bots don't want to pay for Twitter. So they're not going to, okay. It's like, it's the same reason why journalists aren't going to pay me on my podcast on Patreon 
to clip something from me or whatever. Um, they're just not going to, they're not going to give me the pleasure of giving me money. So creating Twitter blue, I was fine with, like, I think that that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do, especially if you want to cut down on spam and you want to cut down on bots and you want to cut down on harassment because generally people who harass aren't going to pay eight bucks, but he could have done that without doing the verification system because it was to me, at least it was fine as it was. And Twitter should have at least had the, had the, uh, service in place to where if you want to get verified, sure. But you have to do everything that someone has to do to get verified, which is send in your driver's license. You have to send in, you know, originally, I mean, you remember Twitter did open up verification for anybody for like three or four or five months a, a, a while back. And then they closed it. And there were like some normies who got verified, but you had to like send in things of your work or just any other social media accounts even like to show that you are who you say you are. Yeah. And instead of that, Musk just was like, hey, give me money and here's your blue check. And now like I have, you know, Shart Lover 6935 <laughs> with a blue check in my verified column. And it just, it's fine. I'm not bitching about it, but it just, it, it, it has infinitely made what I do harder. So if he fixes that, great. If he doesn't, I mean, I don't know. I'm still obviously going to use the service, but it, it changes how I do things. Yeah. Um, and so it makes it harder for me to find media stories. It makes it harder for me to see comments from journalists. Um, I've started like going through and maybe doing lists. So I was going to create lists that I could just go to and ignore my mentions completely. But the other problem is, is I like to interact with people on Twitter, whether it's, you know, to, you know, kind of go back and forth with them, or if it's to just talk with people or retweet funny jokes. Um, I'll do that with any account, but now it's just kind of like, my mention, like I have the verified and then the mentions and I can't even look at mentions. It's just, it looks like Mad Max in my yeah. mentions column. It's just people arguing upon arguing upon arguing, which is, it's always sort of been, but now it's just like ramped up. So, yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but I'm kind of like with you, which is uh, I'm fine with whatever Twitter is becoming because at what it was, was not sustainable. And um, it absolutely had to be blown up. You had, you had a tech company who was absolutely now full blown putting their finger on the on the political scale, not biased within its in its doors, where you know most of the people who worked there were just fucking vegan libs or whatever. They were taking their belief system and they were using that to suppress and use those beliefs to actively affect their work on how that worked with people on Twitter. And yeah. whatever Elon Musk does with Twitter, I am thankful beyond thankful that people like Vijay Gad and Yul Roth are gone. Like plain yeah. and simple, and they're never coming back. So yeah. um, they can go build their own Twitter. Yep. So look, uh, I, I'm going to let you go. I'm the last guy here. I just want to say that I've already uh, followed you over at Substack, and uh, what I'm going to do because you won't have those custom tiers is I'm probably going to going to gift a couple subscriptions to be able to make up for what uh, what I'm currently giving you now um, on Patreon. So keep up the great work and uh, thanks for coming here when you're not feeling well. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. I'm feeling mostly okay. It's just, it's all, my head's just all full of gunk. Um, yeah. I mean, Substack is interesting. I'm still working out what that's all going to be. I'm still talking with people about what that's all going to be. Um, I'm still talking with Substack about what that's all going to be and how it's all going to work. So um, I haven't quite figured out. My goal is to at least do it by the end of the year, but I'm on a clock already. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm just learning about the tier system over there and as well as, you know, hey, that's the, that's the princess. 
Um, so I'm, yeah. So I would say to people, just if you, if you're unaware, I do have a Substack part. It's just versus media on Substack. You can just put your email in. I'm not charging anything for any subscription fees or anything like that yet. I'm just kind of harvesting emails to just see if there's enough interest to do it. And so the hardest thing is going to be the transition. So I have to kind of be prepared for that whole thing because that could either go really well or it could be like a, a bridge blowing up and the dark night rises. So we'll see. But I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That's all I got, my man. Have a have a great uh, holiday and uh, I'll catch up with you next time. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. Do it more often. I always like the new, I, will. I, I like when the newer people show up so I can get we'll rid do. of some of my like other dregs. No offense, dregs. Uh, and then you go ahead and just hit mute and I'll boot you. Thanks again. And he's gone. Uh, so seven, I kind of felt better as we went along here. So this, this helped me also. Um, but yeah, I'm, I need to go like flush my head down the toilet now. So, <laughs> uh, thanks to everyone who called in. Uh, thanks to those of you who joined to listen. I know it's like kind of a Saturday afternoon it's a weird time because your football games are over with or whatever. Uh, but again, thanks for uh, dropping in to, to listen to this whole thing here. Again, some int- a lot of interesting stuff happening, especially in tech media. And that's kind of what the discussion is. It's not just like what's happening on Twitter. It's all of the kind of the gears of going what's happening in tech media right now. And it's really fascinating. And there aren't any tech reporters talking about it. They're talking about lives being in danger of something, whatever. So it's an interesting topic. It's one that's going to just keep getting more and more interesting. And obviously this week we have uh, SBF sitting down with the New York Times board. So I'm sure we're, I'm going to be commenting on that, and I, w- I will be paying attention to that as well. Um, but for now, enjoy your weekends. Thanks again for uh, making this one of the top programs here on Call In. Uh, I'm, I think, second as far as top shows, and that's, again, because of you guys dropping in and spending your time. And uh, I, I do appreciate it, and I, and I do appreciate you guys uh, do calling in and sharing your experiences. So, again, thank you. I'm Stephen L. Miller, at least partly, and uh, this has been Episode 67, Stuff, Stuffed, and Stuffed Up. And uh, I will most likely be back here Monday or Tuesday. I will be on Kennedy Tuesday night, but I may be back here Monday. So, again, 